Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. Tonight we are again going to return to the evening of January 1st, 1970, in the city of Winnipeg, Manitoba. But this time we aren't going to sit back and listen to a story. Now that the story's told, we have the opportunity to consider the many elements of the crime that ended the life of 11-year-old Geraldine City. And I have some friends who are going to join me for it. This isn't the first time this has happened, but this time it was intentional. At roughly the same time I released my episode covering Geraldine's case, my friends at True North True Crime released an episode covering the same story. We figured by timing both of our episodes, we can hopefully kick up some interest and some discussion in this case. And part of our plan was to wrap things up together. And that's what we're going to get into tonight. In this episode of Nighttime, we'll be joined by the hosts of True North True Crime. And our topic is the still unsolved murder. Geraldine City. True North, true crime. I'm proud to be caught up in another true crime podcast eclipse with you. But th- this one was a bit more intentional and planned than the Tanner Krupa one that we found ourselves in six months ago or so. Yeah, yeah. Accidentally, we found ourselves in the same in the same case that first time. Yeah. Uh, whereas this time, we both kind of realized it at the same time and uh, and reached out to each other to say, "Hey, we're we're both covering this. What do you want to do?" Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know how you found out about this story, but I was in touch. I heard from the family spokesperson who was just kind of letting me know about who was the guest on my episode, who was just kind of letting me know, you know, here's the story. I'm I'm looking into it, trying to figure out what happened to my aunt. I right away was like, I'd love to have you on the show and share the story and, you know, dig into the story with you. Uh, very shortly after that, he had told me that he was also talking to you. Did, did you learn about it the same way? Like you were in touch with the spokesperson? The yeah, the, the exact same way. Actually, he sent a very detailed uh, and compelling email that that uh, really sort of attracted us to the story. But we were kind of swamped in a few other episodes that we were working on at the time so we had to put a pin in it until now i don't think it was too long though i think it was only a month that we kind of uh left it off to the side uh, like on the side of our desk yeah i the exact same experience here and it's like but i don't know how you do it but on my show if, if i i get a lot of like story recommendations and ideas from listeners but if i ever hear from someone who's like a family member or really close to or a victim or really close to a crime I do what I can to drop whatever I have planned and prioritize that. But uh, both of you and I, we had talked about this and planned it this way so that we'll work on it, release our episodes at the same time or near and about the same time and wrap up the episode like this. Because I think talking about the story and telling the story is one thing, but then taking what you learn and like, going back and just kind of unpacking it all like we did with Tanner Krupa in, in that past episode a few months back. I think that's really valuable too. So I think the way this has worked out and the timing of it 
has uh, has been fantastic. But be, before we get into talking about the case, uh, let's talk a bit about about you for people who are watching or listening on my show. Would you introduce yourselves and True North True Crime? Um, hi, everybody. We are the hosts of True North True Crime. Uh, we are a true crime podcast based out of Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, and we're a real life uh, husband and wife uh, couple who uh, who started this podcast in May of 2020. Uh, it, you know, we're both true crime people. We're both big podcast listeners. It was actually something we bonded over when we first started dating, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and then many years later. Uh, uh, four years later, we were able to start our own podcast. And uh, the podcast has sort of uh, found a, a life of its own since we started working on it. Each episode is a deep dive into a missing person or a victim of violent crime uh, that has a connection to Canada. Yeah. Mm. And we like to... We like to kind of call ourselves an ethical true crime podcast. Um, and we, you know, we really would encourage listeners to get involved into any kind of GoFundMes or Facebook pages that we drop at the end of the episode. We just, we want people to get involved and really um, be as big of a part of the cases that we cover as they possibly can, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So sometimes just being that supportive person who joined their Facebook page is enough. It just shows mm -hmm. support. Like it doesn't have to be financial and you don't have to solve the crime. Mm -hmm. um, but just to let people know that there are good people out there um, is such a huge thing for families. Oh yeah. And, and anyone who follows your social media, it's, it's like a, a mix of here's the content we created and how to find it with like advocacy for the families that, are involved in the cases you've covered or just whatever's going on in your, your community. So I, I see that ad advocacy is a really big part of what you do. And th this story, uh, Geraldine Cite is it's like, it's ripe for someone like you and your kind of uh, style of coverage and reporting to, to get involved because it's, as, as we've already talked about the Geraldine's nephew serving as the family spokesperson very much came to both of us in search of a platform to share their story and in search of, in search of more advocates to help get behind the cause of you know getting either getting this case reopened or getting facts to come to the surface because it's sadly like many cases it's found itself you know cold and it's largely unknown. Like since releasing my episode, I've I've heard from several people who said who said, uh, you know, I've, I've never heard of the story. One particularly said, I grew up in that town in that time frame from the in, you know sixties wow. and seventies, and I had yeah. never heard of this. And I, I responded to say, like, you know, something must have been different back then with the way like tragic stories were were covered in the news. Because if if this happened today, an eleven year old girl murdered on the way to a convenience store. Um, it would be news all across the country and it would be a huge story and people would be demanding, you know, the, the highest level of investigation and reporting and coverage. We're in Geraldine's case, this, this thing happened and it's basically buried to the point that even her family didn't know a lot of, you know, the details of what, what happened in the courtroom. Like when, when you heard this story and, and read the facts of the case, what were your initial you know thoughts on, on this? Well, I think for me, uh, I can't believe that this, it's essentially been completely forgotten about, mm -hmm. not just in, you know, Winnipeg or Manitoba, but the entire country. I don't, like A lot of people reached out to us after saying, 
thank you so much for covering this. I hadn't even heard her name before yeah. or, you know, any, any, any of, any of what happened. Um, yeah. I think what stuck out to me was, you know, a, a person of interest is, you know, has been <laughs> found, but nothing has happened. And it's just kind of frozen. It's, it's cold. It's so cold and, and nothing is happening. And I feel so badly for this family and everybody that knew them and uh, knew Geraldine. And I just think it's time, obviously. I mean, it was, it was time <laughs> 50 a years long time ago, ago, yeah, 50 years ago to yeah. <clears throat> really, you know, light a fire under some butts and get this moving again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with what the, the nephew had to say. We asked him like, why did you do this? Why did you reignite this story? And, and he said that, um, when he goes online to search about Geraldine Satie, maybe two articles come up. Mm -hmm. One is a CBC article in which they talk about multiple missing or murdered women. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is like, I think there's a blog up there or something like that, but there's very little information. And that in itself is, a, it's not actually a crime, but that's a crime. Yeah. And so now I believe that like with our two podcasts and this episode, now all of a sudden we, we start to have um, an, an internet life uh, uh, of Geraldine City. And like what the nephew had said is now, if somebody gets excited about helping with this case, there's something online that they can hold on to. Now, Geraldine has a personality now between our two episodes um, online. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit more fulsome and a little bit more of a 360 approach to this family, you know, as well as even just like new photos and stuff. The, the only yeah. photo on the internet was of her that I could find was the one associated with the CBC article. And it looks like somebody photocopied an old news, like a, a thumbnail yeah. from a newspaper and then photocopied the photocopy like 30 times and it's then terrible yeah. and then put it on CBC where now um, the family spokesperson connected with different members of their family and got some photos, had them scanned. Now there's, you know, if you search her name now, you're going to find some better photos to mm -hmm. which in, in a story with a, like a, a murdered 11 year old, when you see her face and you realize this is just a kid, it just brings a story to life a lot more than this super old grainy little photo yeah. Um, yeah. on the CBC article ever, ever could. Now we should just be clear with this as um, if people listening or watching are probably like, it's weird that they just keep calling him the nephew or the family spokesperson. Um, there, there's been kind of some back and forth about whether or not they want to remain anonymous. And if you listen to our episodes and you know the story, I think they can be justified in considering anonymity because this is a case that I think is on the cusp of something happening. And there are yeah. certainly people out there that don't want anyone digging into Geraldine's story. That, that's what I, that's what oh, I, 100 percent. and even while, while we were researching the case and speaking with him, his family again, got a harassing phone call. And as we get into this case, we realized that harassing phone calls were, were the, the pr preliminary <laughs> uh, behaviors of the person who may have murdered Geraldine. So it's to me, it was very, uh, it put a chill down my yeah. spine that they got a harassing phone call within the last 30 days from a yeah. blocked phone number. Mm. And, and the cell company, of course, they're not going to reveal where it came from unless you go to the police because a blocked number is a blocked number. Oh, yeah. It, the way phone calls come into this story 
is just bizarre. So let's do before we get deep into talking yeah. about it, let's just kind of recap the facts of the cases. Sure. This this takes place on New Year's Day, January 1st, 1970 in uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. 11-year-old Geraldine Cité um, was home with her father, Leonard. Uh, and I couldn't tell if she wanted to go to the store or if he asked her to go to the store. But regardless, she gets $1.30 and her transistor radio that she got days prior as a Christmas present. It was the previous Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so, and she's running to a neighborhood drugstore. That's like, I think like five minutes away. Yeah. It's a couple blocks away. And, um, she, and, and I think when people hear the story, they may be like 11 year old girl never should have been going out at night. But when it was I think 1970, it was <laughs> in, in my nine year old, like I, I have a nine year old and there's areas that he's allowed to leave the house yeah. and go to like he has friends up the street and, and that's that's fine and I, there's been tons of times where he's i'm going to go call for my friend five houses up and it's yeah. like yeah whatever i think in their case this was something like that it was a safe neighborhood and he's like the yeah. dad would be like and she yeah. had done this walk before many times he and according to one of the articles leonard the father he looked out the window he saw the bright lights of the street mm -hmm. and he saw people on the street and saint mary's uh connects with Fermore, which if I remember correctly, Fermore is actually Highway 1 going through St. Vital. So it's, it's a slowed down, it's not highway speeds, mm -hmm. but it is a busy intersection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. So Geraldine goes off to the store when she doesn't return back in what would have been a reasonable amount of time, like I think it was like 20, 25 minutes, uh, dad gets worried and shortly after that realizes that the store, the drugstore she was going to wasn't even open that night. Oh, and I, and yeah. I can only imagine like with that realization, like sheer panic would have, would have kicked in. Yeah. He, he checks with, you know, friends in different places as to where she may have been no sign of her and basically the search is on that evening is is about the timeline of of that night the next morning um the discovery of geraldine's body in a nearby vacant lot is how i understood it did you yeah. ever in in when i say discovery of body she's been murdered multiple mm -hmm. stab wounds so yeah. it's like something horrible has happened money and radio weren't taken so no theft, motive for robbery or anything no, like that. no motive for robbery and what the spokesperson told me is that there didn't seem to be any kind of like sexual Aspects, nature to yeah. it either so it's just one of those situations where it's just like what the hell happened even the the police chief did a, a statement at the time that was quoted in one of the newspapers where the the police chief simply said we seem to have some, a kook on the loose yeah. 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 A demented person. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And, the, and the, I think that that speaks to the motive and, and, and even the sex assault aspect of it, um, not to cloud the muddy, the water yet, but in the, there were previous attacks in St. Vital of, of young girls, uh, teenage girls um, at knife point. And in one of those, the perpetrator masturbated. Uh, and then let the person go, the girl go. Hmm. So, so interesting. We we know that there were no signs of sexual assault, outward signs of sexual assault but or physical signs. With the others either. But we don't know if it maybe it was sexually motivated. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like maybe nothing happened sexually to her, Physically, but you know what I'm yeah. saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and we got into that in my episode. I'm sure you did as well, but mm-hmm. it was I think it was just like a couple weeks prior in the same area. Uh a woman was a young woman was walking through like an alley, kind of like a darker area or a more isolated area. Someone with a knife, as you described, um forced her to watch them do an indecent act on themselves. And they they described this the person who did it as like a young man, which yeah. becomes interesting as we get it to the first arrest or to the only arrest that was made in Geraldine's case. But in in thinking about what the motive could have been, this is where we get back to the phone calls. And the only thing that really seemed odd, like Geraldine, as, as far as I've known, did, didn't have any enemies. There was nothing that would have made her, you know, risky. Like, of course, she's an 11 year old girl. So what could have happened? But one thing that stood out was, I believe, about a month prior to this happening to her to her murder, she received like a bizarre phone call that was very upsetting. And mm-hmm. it's often been thought that this phone call is connected in some way. Do you, do either of you want to kind of explain what you know about the phone call? So from what we understand, it was December 5th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was right at the beginning of December, Geraldine received this phone call and the person, it was a young male voice. Mm-hmm. The person said he knew her and then backtracked in the middle of the same phone call and said he didn't know her, but there was like a reference to maybe being at the same school as her. Mm. And then he continued to uh, be suggestive, vulgar and derogatory stating that he was watching her. Um, And this is an 11 year old. Like I I can't, like the amount of times that we said, this is an 11 year old girl in our episode is probably like, if we did a search on it, it's a lot like, I can't emphasize this enough. She was 11 years old. And, um, and then the person hung up. She told Leonard, her dad about it. Not much you can do with crank calls back in those days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if it was being traced, it would take a minute. And so the person would always hang up uh, before it got to a minute. And then it turned out that the same thing was happening to other teenage girls, young girls in the same 10, five blocks area throughout the month of December. Mm-hmm. And this is also when things escalated into, we believe that there were three different reported um, knife attacks between December 1st and uh, New Year's Eve. And then Geraldine was murdered on, on January 1st. So there was, there's escalating behavior mm-hmm. in the same neighborhood. All of the girls Either the same went to, age, they yeah, have the same, like they, it's they the all same went to Norbury school. Yeah. They all went to either Norbury school or Windsor school, which was the two K to nine schools in the area. So we have like, it's a very small circle of time mm-hmm. and it's a very small um, uh, victim pool. And yeah. also, I mean, what are the odds that in a town this small that these things are not connected? That's what I was thinking when I was it's talking to, when I was looking through the old news reports, talking to the spokesperson, uh, it was the same, my, I came to the same realization, like a me or the same opinion immediately. I was like mm-hmm. the phone call, these other cases that involve a knife, all involving a, what is described as a younger male being mm-hmm. involved. Like it, there's no way it has to be connected. It just would be too coincidental if yeah. not. And 
it seems like if if that happens, this you would think would be a very solvable case, or at least to the point that they have a few suspects. We really know next to nothing about the investigation, but we do know that the investigation eventually did lead to a suspect who I think was a 16-year-old boy that was mm -hmm. arrested and charged in Geraldine's um, murder. But this is what surprised me is when I was talking to the spokesperson, it seemed like his family really wasn't involved in the investigation or trial or anything mm -hmm. because they seemed almost like they were almost like learning now that the charges were stayed. There was no, no yeah. conviction. Yeah. So we had a, we had a, we had a person who was actually 14 at the time of the crimes. It was a 19 month investigation. So I'm, I, he clearly had two birthdays during that time okay. uh, and was 16 when he was arrested. Um, and yeah, this is, this is the thing that, um, you know, I do some work in restorative justice and the thing about restorative justice, as opposed to criminal justice, and I think they both need to exist is that restorative justice involves the victim and involves the victim's family. And it also involves the community, whereas criminal justice does not the victims like victim impact statements have only been around for 20 years. Whereas like, so something like this, a crime like this occurs and the Satie family would have been left out, left out. They had no out. idea that this. So the kid gets arrested. He gets bonded out on $10,000 bail. And then at some point, nobody knows when his charges are stayed, which means that the crown can pick up the charge again if they want within a year. Um, but they didn't. And nobody knows why. And the family was never, they, like, as far as we know, there was never a phone call. There was never an invitation to court because we're also dealing with a young offender, yeah. which, and, and rightfully so, young offenders should be protected. Mm -hmm. uh, they, there was talk about moving him out into adult court. It didn't happen. Something, something happened yeah. that made the Crown look at the, these, the facts of this case, either the confession, the interview, the evidence, Something happened, and it was not in the in the uh, in the world of justice or in the in the, for the good of justice to move forward with this case, and nobody knows why. But there there was something like what I would love to know is what led them to this suspect or, or to this person that they charged. Like they must have had something significant to actually press the charges. But then again, it must not have been significant enough for them to go forward. I yeah. would love to see the details of it. And it, it must be driving the family crazy, especially the spokesperson we we both spoke with, who like, I'm sure they would love to get their hands on the investigators files. Although one other thing that surprised me is they had told me when I was interviewing them, that they did meet with the investigators who seemed very open with giving them information on who the suspect was and you know how old he was how old he is now all that stuff so he did yeah. get some information but i would love to see all of it um because well, and including the other charges because from what we understand mm -hmm. one or possibly two again he's a young offender so we'll never know exactly but we believe that one or two of those other assaults were charged to wow. the same person to the same person so <laughs> why why couldn't they connect Geraldine Geraldine stabbing mm -hmm. to the other transactions that occurred within the same month? Mm -hmm. This would have been before DNA, of course, in the seventies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it's I, I'm just like I keep thinking about the passage of time and how different things would be now 
if if this had happened now, I don't believe the public would have given up. There would have been so no. much attention on the like a brutal murder of an eleven year old that also involved the suspect having like been accused of like like rapes and weird <laughs> sexual crimes. It would have been such a big story that it wouldn't have gone away. And just in this case, it did. And it's just it show it's so shocking because it's it's a horrific crime, but it's also a simple and easy to tell crime and that's the kind that really capture the attention of a nation and i think i just can't believe that this happened uh, although when you say the 70s it doesn't sound like a long time ago but it was 50 years ago and, i know can you yeah. believe that but it, also generationally too you have to think that um because when i think about my parents and stuff uh you know when the law or the government, or the doctor, or whoever the quote-unquote authority is, tells you something, You, they generally took it as fact. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there wasn't questions going on in the 60s and 70s, but I, I do know generationally a lot of people assume that the, that the law was the law. And even the spokesperson said it. He's like, you know, I just assumed they got the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants the wrong guy to go to the wrong person to go to jail. Mm -hmm. But the more he looked into it, the more he's like, it's still pointing to this person. Mm -hmm. So I think there's also that aspect to it was, you know, back in the day, it was like, well, cops and the judge said they got the wrong guy. So I guess that's it. Yeah. I don't think like nowadays there's such a, um, it's almost assumed that when something happens, there's going to be like hard, like a hardened group of advocates that are fighting for justice and going mm -hmm. on the news and talking and yeah. getting the story out. And yeah, I don't know if that was. Oh always, no, hundred percent. That was not, that case. was not around then. Yeah. In a, in a big Métis family from Matheson Island, mm -hmm. you know, they're from uh, an area with a population of a hundred people. And now they're living in St. Vital in the suburbs of, of the big city of Winnipeg, you know, it's, you know, are they, are they question authority type people in that type yeah. of power dynamic? Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, um, yeah, it would be a different kind of vibe than it's, you know, the mayor's daughter, you know, like something right. like that. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, young, it's, it's a young indigenous girl, you know, like, I mean, we can say that it would get a lot of attention today, but I don't know, would it? <sighs> Yeah. Good point. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to have to be the one to bring up that, but I mean, I think it unfortunately didn't get enough attention because she was a Métis girl at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's something now where people in media, they really, they're really trying to correct that and, you know, and, and highlight these stories. When we're talking about the seventies, like today, we're trying to fix the problems that kind of became routine then so yeah. this would have been a time that a story like this would be you know would be buried and the time frame like the the, the era that it happened in certainly plays a huge role in this 100%. case not being well known and i think it plays a big role in it not being solved mm -hmm. um, well and also we we've worked on other cases from winnipeg at that time and i'm not critical of winnipeg police service or say fatal at the time but there, you know, the Barbara Stoppel case is a case that we covered and, you know, there were, there were some mistakes there. And also, you know, in her crime, her murder was never really solved. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been lucky enough to speak to a former Winnipeg police investigator who believes that he has solved that crime. Huh. Um, but there was sort of, uh, 
patchy work at the time. And then cases just kind of disappeared and we moved on to the next news cycle Mm -hmm. because it was literally newspapers. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, 24 hour access to the internet. It was much harder to keep people's attention uh, then. It's much harder to create, um, I think, a compassionate connection with victims because they're not seeing their faces. They're not seeing videos of these people. They're not seeing the victims' families' faces on you know, TV or, or the internet every day, it's, it's harder to develop that compassionate connection with the family members, with the victims, you know, back when this was occurring. And I think that's why it's so important for, you know, you and us to now tell these stories on new platforms to a a larger group of people Mm. nationally or even internationally. Um, And it's time to, you know, get these, older cases solved, or at least, you know, some sort of justice or some sort of closure that the family can have. My, yeah. My dream would be, I mean, obviously for it to be solved, but uh, cause it, it happens. These cases do get solved. Even 50 years later, it can get oh, yeah. solved, oh, yeah. but, but how, how about an official written explanation for the family? Mm-hmm. You know, just, just, just to say, Hey, you know what? Uh, there were some balls dropped. We can't get into what they were or whatever it is. And just explain like, instead of just like, well, his charges were stayed, you know, just an, ex- an explanation to the family. So they know. And again, this goes back to the restorative justice thing mm-hmm. is include them in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, Cause somebody and the family's been dealing with, with, with that for years. And what I think is um, really heartbreaking is when I think, and this is me talking as a dad myself is, mm-hmm. The, the guilt her father must have felt mm-hmm. after her death, being the one who let her leave. And, and I think it like it was, you know, the run of the store. And I think he wanted her to get cigarettes as well. And mm-hmm. I and I just like I can I can't imagine, but I can try to imagine what the rest of his life must have been like dealing with like his little girl like this happened on his watch and he wasn't there to like I can only imagine the stuff he was thinking. And he he's he's passed away without. He passed away two years later. Yeah, without no like yeah. th- those last two years of his life. I don't know, but I'm willing to bet it was a living hell that entire yeah. time. And it's yeah. So they started getting harassing phone calls after the murder. Yeah, and and, and the caller um, indicted and and uh, was horrible to Leonard, uh, saying like it's your fault. Your daughter died. Like that's so, you know, is, was that a random kook who read the newspaper that no. day or was, are we still dealing with the same main suspect? And, you know? yeah. And I don't know if we should get into the, the phone calls. They haven't even stopped. They're still yeah. said yeah. to be people like causing trouble. We won't get specific with it, but phone calls have just been a part of this story right from, you know, a month before. Geraldine, yeah. Geraldine was killed. So we we get into we we talked about what had happened, the police investigation, what her dad had likely had to deal with for the last two years of his life. Now that there's the the suspect that was arrested and charges were stayed and he was released. This person, like the spokesperson and lots of people on the internet know who this is and mm-hmm. knows a, uh, we're not using his name 
because of libel and slander and all that stuff. Yeah. But and young offender. And like, there's a lot. It's yeah. very complicated. Um, yeah. But I've seen people writing about him online and um, people know who it is. And I don't believe they've ever made a statement and whether or not they did it, somebody did it and somebody's out there living with this for 50 years. What will it take? Do you think for, for this person to get caught? Is it going to be a relationship breaks down and someone he told, you know, tells the police or Gosh. is it going to be a deathbed confession? How will, how I mean, if they ever do, I mean, here's the, the, the other thing is, you know, they could think I've gotten away with this for 50 years. I'm not going to give it up now. Mm. Um, or, you know, they could find some humanity within them and say, you know, I'm going to tell what I, I'm going to say what I did, or, you know, somebody knows somebody mm. saw something that night, somebody didn't realize who it was. And now that her photo has been um, shared a little bit more and her story has been shared a little bit more, maybe the right person hears it maybe the right person reads what we've been posting or, or uh, more uh, CBC articles or, or anything. And, and maybe somebody comes forward that knew the person that, you know, overheard a confession mm. or something or, like or that. has suspicions. And he, the yeah. spokesperson had told the family spokesperson, Geraldine's nephew had told me that um, there was close to being movement in this case, a few mm. years back, someone was going to testify against, the person that they believed was responsible, but I think they there was like an overdose or a sickness yeah. that led to them not being able to. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I did. We didn't even put that in our episode because I was like, how do I even put this in? I don't, you know. Um, but but, it, but I, I think what it speaks to is the fact that things must still be happening, but it's yeah. like a waiting game. And when someone gets if there's just not enough evidence even if the police are like i'm pretty sure it's this guy or girl and there's not enough evidence you just kind of have to wait for a yeah. marriage to break down or someone to you know get in a fight with their lifelong best friend and their best friend's like i'm going to the police about that or, thing you told me when we were drunk six years ago yeah, yeah exactly. or we get back into good old-fashioned police work they have a you know they have 5300 uh pages in Geraldine's file hmm. you know we and we know that you know Saint Vital police became Winnipeg police and RCMP took over and so so we know that there's been some bounce around we know that new buildings have been built and old buildings have been destroyed we don't Things know what moved. has been lost exactly but but I do believe that there's got to be something in this 5300 pages that points to the one person who did this or and hopefully some sort of DNA or blood evidence that has been kept over the years that we could, you know, use the technology that we have in 2021 mm -hmm. to maybe make some movement on this. Yeah. And, and also even like with somebody coming forward, like so many witnesses are terrible and they're impeachable and, you know, they, you know, like you said, I said, tell me what you remember from 1970. Well, she was wearing a yellow jacket. Yeah. Are you sure it was yellow? It could have been green. Yeah. Like, it's just, I mean, how do you remember? It it's got to be ago. just something such, something, something solid enough. But I do believe it is, you know, we even said it in our episode and, and the family spokesperson said it multiple times that, you know, if you were scared of speaking out before because of fear of this person, well, this person is a retired senior now you know like if you were scared of not being believed well things have changed mm -hmm. in 
police investigations with crown with all kinds of things like things have changed and come forward yeah and if there was already charges laid and then stayed there's already evidence that to the point that they probably just need a little bit to push this Mm -hmm. over and be something that where they're like yeah we're going to get a conviction at this point it must just not be there um and yeah and that happens a lot of times like there's a lot of cases where there's a suspect for a long time before this little piece of info or this one person's willing to talk that wasn't before and that's yeah. what it takes to put it push it over um i'm assuming you went through the old newspaper articles uh like this i i collected a few that the spokesperson was passing around and yeah. it's uh that that was interesting because the initially when when i heard, read her name and, and from the email that when he sent it to me um i read the cbc article which is very brief as you as you said yeah. earlier but the newspaper articles it it was like a like a compelling read to the point that I'm I'm surprised that it wasn't a major news story. Like as you're reading it, I was hanging off of every word of those articles, and there was a lot of information in them. But I guess just not yeah, enough. Yeah, to- they actually did an amazing job. I know we kind of said like, you know, overarching national media didn't really give this case a lot of of attention, but those articles, I don't even know what that was like the, whatever the Winnipeg free press, or I can't remember what the name of the paper is in Winnipeg, but, but it was, those are incredibly detailed. And there was multiple articles that Mm -hmm. were chronicling the case. May slay Um, again. Yeah. Like they, they were concerned that this was going to happen again. Yeah. May slay again. Police say is one of the, like one of the headlines, two other girls attacked, like, Mm -hmm. you know, they were really on it. Um, and great interviews in there as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. just not enough for it to spread and become a major story. But it, again, it's a, and I hate to keep going back to that, but it's just that's one part of this that it just surprises me that this wasn't that everybody doesn't know her name. Um, if it, if it ha- like if it happened today in the, in another country, everyone in Canada would know her name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it happened in you know the furthest reaches of Canada, it would be heard in every one of our cities. Cause you know, that's the other thing too, is these types of crimes. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but um, you know, we, we do, I believe that we as Canadians do mourn when something happens in, you know, like when, when what happened in Nova Scotia happened, like we, you know, Kate and I were devastated, you know, and we were living in Vancouver. Like, you know, we've seen crimes happen throughout Canada and they seem to cut us a little bit deeper and I think it's because there's only 30 something million of us instead of a country of, you know, 300 million or a billion, we kind of just feel it, even though we have so much geography mm-hmm. and, and a case like Geraldine Satie today, and even in the seventies would have been felt if people knew it, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, oh, I, I, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And it's, it's very relatable too, because we've all been there where, you know, you're running to the neighborhood store to grab something some evening. Like I can, like, yeah. That would have been it's, so normal for me to do in the late 80s, early 90s. And nowadays, like I said, my son, I have no problem with him running to his friend that lives eight houses up the street. Yeah. And Could you imagine the moment of freedom right there? Sorry to interrupt, but that moment of freedom for her where she's her dad said yes. Her mom gave her a dollar at dinner. So she, she got her radio. She, she, she had 39 cents out. extra in her pocket. So she has a dollar 39 and she puts on her radio. Cause she carries this radio on a little shoulder strap with her because music is her escape. Mm. Right. And she is the, the overwhelming feelings of independence, 
even though she may not have registered it at the moment, but that's what it was. And a, a light snowfall on the ground, mm-hmm. New Year's Day, 1970. She's 11 turning 12 in just 19 days. And she's walking to the store, which for when I was a kid, the corner store was the safest other place from your house. Oh, yeah. And like a fun place where you, you had, had to candy. go get candy. <laughs> you know, and like in it's that, a fun journey to make. And, and in then, that moment, she met a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in, like in, every kid has done it. You know, every kid's gone to the grocery, the, the yeah. corner store to just, you know, pick up some items to make their night better. And Slurpees in the summertime, yeah. you know, like or, or Mr. Freezy's or whatever. And then in the wintertime, being able to go there at night when it's, you know, or not night, but because the sun sets early, you're going there at, at, in dark time, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's the store. It's yeah. You know. And then another tragedy or another tragic part of this on top of it is the fact that it was her family that found her the next morning. And that always seems so overly cruel because the police would have been looking Mm -hmm. and she was found very near where she came from and where she was going. It just seems cruel that it happened to be a family member. That was one of the ones that found her. Yeah. And I mean, also, I know we already talked about like the panic that he must have felt after she didn't come home after 25 minutes, but also it was nighttime and it was like minus 20 out that night. Minus so 26, you, yeah. minus 26. So the, you know, the panic of knowing that your 11 year old daughter is somewhere yeah. where she's not warm and safe at home. And then you have to find her the next morning. Uh, I, I, I mean, this, this case is so horribly tragic and um, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's awful. But I think um, what people can do now, and I, I've asked the spokesperson, this is like, what can people do to um, to help you and to spread the message? And I think really what it is now is people just need to know her name, mm-hmm. know her photo. Uh, share it, share her, share the story. Share the story, get involved in the discussion. They have a, there's a Facebook group, Justice for Geraldine Cite, and there's a lot yep. of people who lived there at the time or family members that are in there sharing their memories and discussing it. But like, I think it's all about like uh, getting that ball of ad advocacy rolling to the point that somebody out there feels pressured or compelled to talk. And there's, there's enough of her family alive, still brothers and sisters that can have closure and the person who did it there's enough of their life left that they can face justice Um, i i hate hearing those stories where it's you know this 88 year old got arrested for a crime they commit like 70 years ago or something and it's just like that's not justice that's just a couple years of free housing at a nursing home basically i know essentially yeah yeah so it's like i want when these stories like this i want it to happen as soon as possible to so they pay some kind of price 100 mm-hmm. and i think i think uh for people who can join the facebook group just the the knowledge that there's people who care enough to be part of the conversation and to just show their support it means so much to all of the families that we um help and we cover their their stories it's just the knowledge that there's there's support out there and mm-hmm. people who who want to be part of um justice and finding answers Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also, and also, you know, our, our mainstream media, you know, yeah. we, you know, we're podcasters, we're in a different sort of like sphere, but um, you know, if the fifth estate or W5 or any of their reporters with all their funding 
pick up a case like this, then all of a sudden you start to see Manitoba justice move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, gets- when, when it's podcasters, it's one thing we're reaching a lot of people, but then when our major outlets go, Hey, if we this could spare happened. five minutes on the evening news tonight to share a cold case of yeah. anybody, it would mean so much to these cases. Yeah. And I, I think we need to push for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they should be doing it. And it's, I think um, in Halifax and in Nova Scotia, what often happens is the, I see the police or RCMP when there's a, um, like an anniversary of a case, there may be a little post or something they put online <laughs> or a press release, but why not like, you know, do something beyond that. Like they must have good, uh, like press kind of public relations kind of people, uh, working for the police force. It doesn't take a lot of effort to put something nice together and send it as a press release and get the story out there. That like like, a 30 second commercial spot, even like on, like during the news at night. I mean, they used to, I think, I think global was doing that for a while for unsolved cases, but they should make it in like an every night thing with a different, a different story or even weekly. I've been saying that for a while now, like after all the fallout of the Gabby Petito case and Mm -hmm. a lot of this mainstream media was criticizing itself for not covering more <laughs> stories of diverse yeah. uh, nature. And I'm like, would well, you literally have the power to, to run a five minute piece at the end of every, every single newscast that you do, you could run five minutes. That's th- 365 cases right there. Yeah. It's, they, no, it's true. And, and your the Gabby Petito case was a oh missing woman in the missing young woman in the States. And so, so much criticism was like, there was so much attention Yes. For a missing white blonde woman with a, the attractive with a yeah. nice background and all this kind of stuff, people were critical of it. Um, but as you said, like the media was kind of covering it the and criticizing themselves. Yes. But I, okay. as I was reading a few of those articles, I was so offended because I was like, they're they want to cover Gabby Petito, but they don't want to be criticized. So they're That's covering exactly what they were doing. It was covering, still clickbait. It was still cl- clickbaiting. They're still covering yeah. it. Yeah. They're, they're just, just covering like, it in the only kind of context they can. Exactly. Yeah. And so they're like, well, yeah. nobody's talking about blank. It's like, well, we are. Yeah. You are. You Christy can. is. We all like we're the podcasters are all doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, go for well, it. We're trying know? to. I yeah. mean, you know, but yeah. we only have so much like money, resources, and connections yeah. to people. Not everybody wants to talk to a small podcast, mm-hmm. but, but it, they it, all want to talk to CBC. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it not calling CBC out. You're doing a great job. Uh, <laughs> um, but it also is like it, it speaks to with with that case, Gabby Petito, it, it speaks to when the public gets involved in a case, gets a ton of attention. Things can happen in that case. Yeah. There was there was so much attention that every decision law enforcement was making. I'm sure they double, triple checked everything. They were terrified. A hundred percent. And dog, the bounty hunter was banging on the guy's parents' house. Like it was, everybody was all over it. There was no way that case wasn't getting solved and closed. No, it was crazy. And not every case will get that kind of attention, but Mm -hmm. every case deserves attention, you know, and and, and deserves the best from law enforcement. And sadly, it doesn't seem like Geraldine maybe didn't get either. Yeah, something happened. Something ha- like we just that's what we need to know is what piece because I, I do believe the police did their job mm-hmm. and I believe that the crown wanted a conviction, but something happened along the line where a piece got missed, a piece got missed or a piece of evidence was uh, lost, sullied, something happened 
that it was like, okay, well, this is what our whole case is hindering on here or hanging on, and it's got to go away now. But why not another kick at the can in 50 years? And th- I mean, thankfully, they didn't go to trial with no evidence because that would have been an even worse outcome, I think, if right. he was found not guilty or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, like, and I'm thankful that, like, you know, we do need to meet a burden of proof, of yeah. proof to bring people to justice. But what happened that that couldn't have gone forward? I think that's what the family deserves to know. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's mm-hmm. that's what we yeah. we need from the the Winnipeg police or mm-hmm. the is it the RCMP now. Well, I'm not quite sure who's I think, right? I hope it's Winnipeg police because that's what I said in my episode. I don't believe the RCMP <laughs> are in charge of Winnipeg. Um, yeah. I'm not from Manitoba. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know. Yeah. Either. <laughs> um, well, let's end it with this. But for, for people who want to hear your coverage of Geraldine's case, uh, where can they find it? They can find it on any platform that they listen to podcasts. Yeah, true north, true crime. I think it's episode thirty-seven. This has been fantastic. I'm sure this is going to happen again. I'm, I, I might as well schedule us for three or four months from now. <laughs> yes, yeah. The next and eclipse. We, we would love. We that. end up in the same areas of. Wait, Canadian wasn't there crime. just a lunar eclipse too? So this is kind of like strange that this is happening on the lunar eclipse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But here we have. I know there's a. I think a full moon. But... We should do an episode about this. Yeah, we yeah. should. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for joining True North, True Crime, and I for our discussion surrounding the murder of Geraldine City. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact Crime Stoppers, Winnipeg Police, or if all else fails, contact me and I can get the information to the proper people and keep you anonymous. And with that, we'll begin to wrap up this episode, but before we part, I have some thanks. First, a big thanks to True North, True Crime for again sharing an evening with me and the listeners of Nighttime. A big shout out to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. And lastly, a massive thanks to everyone who listens to Nighttime as as without your interest and your support, the show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can give the show a big hand at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers. Marana, Christina, and David, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing the episodes on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, find me at nighttimepodcast.com contact. And follow me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm often live on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. It is a lunar eclipse. I knew I was right. I was oh. like, would it be? It'd be the same here, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the moon's still the same moon, right? So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just felt like I meant like, does it line up the same? But yeah, I guess yeah. like the sun and the moon are far enough away that Winnipeg, uh, that like yeah. Vancouver to Halifax isn't. Yeah. <laughs>